welcome to Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast that digs into the paranormal and tries to find normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. I'm Chad. I'm Eli. And we hope you guys are not sitting at home quarantined in your house for 14 days. But if you are, then what better to do than listen to our podcast? We'll entertain you. Yeah. Is it weird that I was thinking the same intro? (laughs) (laughs) No, because we share a brain. I mean, sports is canceled. TV show productions is off. There's every you can't go anywhere. Every concert's been canceled. So now you're just stuck at home and I mean, you eventually are going to watch the whole Netflix catalog, so you might as well listen to a podcast or two, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can also catch me online at uh, B-Dubs Legend slash Twitch, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Eli will be twitching it up. Now, we're not officially quarantined, but might as well be. We've got yeah. a, a state of emergency in our city, so you can't congregate with more than 250 people, so a lot of places are shut down. And the entire college is sending their kids home. Yeah. Schools are probably going to get canceled, but we're on spring break right now. So they're going to monitor monitor the situation and decide later. So while we all celebrate the the what COVID-19 or the coronavirus, we'll do that. And we're going to take you on a little trip so that you can sit at home on your couch or lay in your bed and you can go on this little trip with us because we're doing another installment of our haunted tour. Yay! Are we there yet? <laughs> and the winning city and state is Seattle, Washington. Chad's touching Ooh. me. And I have never been to Seattle, but Seattle is one city that I have always wanted to go to. Me too. I don't, I've just always kind of been drawn to Seattle. So it was kind of cool to look into the stuff because, you know, I also do like the Google Maps street tours as I go by these places and <laughs> look at them. So we hope to take you on a little adventure of Seattle's most haunted locations. And what better way to start it out than with a Seattle bar crawl? Chug, 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 chug. The historic Pike Place Market overlooking Seattle's waterfront is one of the most visited attractions in the city. Here you can find fresh foods of every kind, from a variety of produce to fresh fish and herbs. Numerous other vendors sell flowers by the dozen, beautiful arts and crafts, and Seattle souvenirs. The market is said to host a number of restless spirits. One of the most popular is Princess Angeline, the oldest daughter of Chief Seattle, of the Duwamish tribe born in 1811. Her actual name was Kiki Soblu, but the early settlers of Seattle gave her the moniker Princess, and it just stuck. Especially after the 1855 Treaty of Point Elliot that required all Duwamish to leave their rands for reservations. Their what? Huh? To leave their lands for reservations. Princess Angeline ignored the order and remained in the city, being the only Native American to do so. She resided on the waterfront in a cabin on what is now modern-day Western Avenue, right between Pike and Pine Street. She made her living selling hand-woven baskets in downtown Seattle and taking in laundry. She died in 1896 at the age of 85 on May the 31st. The residents that knew her, and knew of her, 
gave her a fine funeral and burial held at the Church of Our Lady of Good Help. Her body lays at rest at the Lakeview Cemetery on Capitol Hill. The Pike Place Market was founded in 1907 by Frank Goodwin. He built it upon the site of Princess Angeline's former cabin. Over the years, many people have seen Angeline's spirit, so clearly, in fact, that they believe she's actually a real person. That is until she suddenly disappears. She mostly takes the form of her elderly physical self, a red handkerchief over her head, and a shawl wrapped around her shoulders, moving very slowly with the aid of a cane. Others have reported her apparition changing colors, from glowing white to lavender, blue, and even pink. She sounds pretty. Sometimes there is a young boy with her. She is most often sighted near a rough wooden column in the center of the lower level, but others have seen her near the Goodwill store. Several of the shops in the market have tales of paranormal activity. I'll go through a few while we wait. When, when, when renovations were being done at the Bead Emporium, a basket of beads was found in the wall. A wall that had been closed off for many years. The peculiar thing was, it was closed off before the Bead Emporium was even there. Owners suspected the spirit of a child was hoarding the beads away. At night, the cash register drawer would open and close of its own accord. The owners also believe this little boy's spirit visits the marionettes in the puppet shop. In Sheila's magic shop, there is a crystal ball that contains the restless spirit of Madame Nora. You might remember the crystal from another shop called Pharaoh's Treasures, or maybe remember Madame Nora from the Temple of Destiny. According to the tale, Pharaoh's Treasures received the crystal ball from an old woman who wanted to trade it for a scarab. The old woman warned the owner before completing the trade that Madame Nora resided within it. The owner was not very superstitious and thought little of it. Almost immediately, unexplainable things began to happen, like objects moving during the night. As for the history of Madame Nora, she ran a place called the Temple of Destiny. That is, of course, when she was alive. She was a practitioner of crystal gazing, Egyptian sand divining, Indian psychic projection, and other occultic practices. Over at the Triangle Building, the owner of Mr. D's, a Greek deli, has spirits that are known to fight in his downstairs walk-in freezer. They make such a ruckus at times that some of his staff refuse to go in there. In the Mary Tells Toy Store, there is a spirit of a stable boy named Jacob. He is believed to have died in 1918 of the Spanish flu at the age of eight or nine. He has the habit of throwing things when visitors or paranormal investigators provoke him. The owner of the toy store made him a little room with a bed in it, and he is much calmer now. Kell's Irish Restaurant has been called the most haunted bar in America. The building is located at 1921 First Street, but the bar's entrance is actually around the back on the narrow cobblestone post alley. This building used to be a mortuary called Butterworth and Sons, which is rumored to have been built on a Duwamish tribal burial ground. I thought you were going to say it was 
rumored to be built by Miss Butter Butterworth herself. <laughs> Witnesses have observed ghosts, sometimes dozens at a time, sometimes dozens at a time, <laughs> in the building, <laughs> including an unnamed man that wears suspenders and a newsboy hat seen in a second-story window. Extra, extra. The door of Kells is where they used to deliver the corpses to. It served as the embalming room before the corpses would be hoisted upstairs via a dumb waiter. Well, I know a smart waiter. <laughs> That's just That's what it's called. I guess <laughs> 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 were you going to do that one too? No, I wasn't going to do that one, but that was better than what mine was. So. <laughs> According to Liam Gallagher, a musician that has played here for decades, and he says there's a phantom that wears a long black coat and a derby hat. Mostly he's seen at a table by the wall. Everyone calls him Charlie. Gallagher said he seemed older, like 60, but you couldn't see his face. Charlie's reflection is also sometimes seen in the Guinness mirror, but he disappears when witnesses turn away from the reflection. That's just because they're drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that? Oh, man, man. I, you know, I have looked and seen my own reflection and thought it was somebody else. Yeah. No, actually, I saw somebody else's reflection and thought it was my own. Never mind. <laughs> There's an, also an apparition of a little red-haired girl who sometimes sits, waiting patiently, at the top of a flight of stairs between the bar and the now vacant old chapel. That's, of course, when she is not playing pranks on guests or trying to play with children. During the day, children are welcome in the pub. I was about to ask, how are children in the bar? <laughs> They're the dumbwaiters. <laughs> <laughs> she has the ability to manipulate physical things and has even made ragdolls for the living children who visit the bar. No one knows where she came from, but it's assumed she's one of the many children who died during the 1918 influenza outbreak. Synchronicity. This little ghost girl has never harmed anyone. Patrick McAleese, the Irishman who owns Kells, stated when he was a teenager and his parents owned Kells, a wall mirror in the back bar fell to the floor and shattered into pieces. The odd thing was, those pieces formed a neat little pile. When the family ran back to see what had happened, a single candle on the bar was inexplicably burning. His sister Karen saw someone or something amble out of the kitchen. He was a tall man who looked like he was part black, with a suit jacket on. He had a very thin hands and walked to the end of the bar and just kind of faded. The next stop is a theater that features cabaret performances. The Can-Can is located below ground in Pike Marketplace on the corner of Pike Street and First Avenue. Because the Can-Can-Can. One night, the bartender here as part of closing blew out all the candles, then stepped outside for a smoke. When he came back, every single candle in the place was flickering. Bum, bum, bum. A Can-Can regular by the name of Mike had a story. He owns a stand at the Pike Place Market and lives in an apartment just above it. Some years back, his daughter made friends with a boy that would appear at dusk outside her window, next to the market's iconic neon sign. Mike said, 
She would take my hand and say, Hey, come see him. And lead me into her room. She'd take her mother to see him. She'd even take you. She'd take everyone to see him. Mike would always follow his daughter to the window, but he never saw what his daughter was seeing. He never discredited her either. He reasoned, Some elders say that children can see things we've learned not to see. Of that. Our son has a new imaginary friend. He has a few of them. But this one has the name of Jack. And Chad pointed out that could it very well be, in fact, Applejack returned? <gasps> bum, bum, bum. Wait, wait, wait. Who's Applejack? Applejack was my imaginary friend when I was a kid. But later on in adult life, I was talking to mom about Applejack, and I was, we were talking about that house that we lived in out in the country that was extremely haunted. And I was describing to her what I... Because I was like, I actually have a physical memory of what Applejack looked like. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if he was an imaginary friend, you wouldn't really have, I wouldn't think he would have an actual image in your head. Because I had two imaginary friends. One, I don't have an image of him. I did have an image image of. And when I was describing him to her, she said, that sounds like the Indian ghost that I used to see. So I've just kind of become, started to assume that Applejack was, our spirit in that house. And then he just showed himself to me in a little different way than he showed himself to mom. And then we were at a baby shower on Wednesday and Dean said, I play with Jack. And it's like, who's Jack? And he pointed to this empty chair and said, Jack sit right there. It's like, all right, Jack. And then I was telling Chad about the story and he's like, do you think that could be Applejack return? I never, had, I didn't even associate Applejack and Jack, but I thought it was kind of interesting because our daughter really didn't have an imaginary friend. So didn't experience that with her, but he definitely has Jack and he talks about Jack. So like today he said, Jack's a wolf. Well, that ties into the, and that ties into Applejack because Applejack was a centaur for me. Yeah, well, her mom said she'd, or one of the kids that she used to have in the daycare saw a wolf walking around the room with a man. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I was just kind of assuming it was Jack Decardus. Well, way back in the, I think about the 30s, he was lynched in front of the uh, Noble Public Library there. Could have been that too. That's 100% possible. Who is, who? I don't know. I just made it up. Oh. <laughs> you and your BS stories. He you makes do it sound nonchalant. He does like, it to me like... all the freaking time. <laughs> My brain hurts. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, who, who is this? Well, oh, yeah, but I mean, kids, kids can see things that aren't there. Oh, yeah. You know? And I mean, our daughter used to talk to my dad all the time. And she would, you know, point and say, mm. oh, you know, Papa Finch is there. So, I mean. Well. I shouldn't say they can see things that aren't there. They can see things that are there that, that, we, that can't we can't see. see. Yeah. But I just thought it was kind of an interesting thing that happened, and I knew you were going to be telling that story, and it kind of correlated. And it'd be really cool if Applejack was back. Yeah. Because. Guess who's back? Back. God, back. I was going to go there, too. <laughs> oh. Applejack's Apple back. Back, back, back. <laughs> Tell a friend. <laughs> Eat me, a bowl of cereal. Applejack and I had tons of fun when I was growing he up. He got you so. in a lot of trouble. He did get me in trouble. He had me do things that I wasn't supposed to do. I just blamed Amy for him when I got in trouble. 
<laughs> it was it was never anything like bad. It was just like little mischievous things that I would do. Like most imaginary friends have people. Yeah, like you know, leave the faucets on or I don't know, just random little things that I would do that would get me in trouble and start a fire in the living room. No, no, <laughs> you know, basic kid stuff. You no, know. <laughs> you know, bury your brother, in, you know, outside. You know, sell illicit drugs. You yeah. weren't even born yet. I know. <laughs> Yeah, remember we got we got six years between us. I was this only child for six years. I got into a lot of shit before you came along. <laughs> I learned how to hide a lot of the shit once you did come along, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> did, any, did any of the hidden shit end up underneath your brother's bed? Like you're not supposed to drink soda, so you would drink a soda and then instead of throwing it away. It'd no. Okay. Yeah, because the. Six month old drank the soda and hit mm-hmm. underneath his Now, bed. my brother did end up under his bed when it collapsed on top of him because my nephew and I decided <laughs> to jump on the bed and my scare him. My ankle's never been the same. <laughs> it was one of those trundle beds. It was at our dad's house. And so we had like a two like twin a, size bed. So it was like one of those, those like scissor, a scissor lift. Those scissor Oh, <laughs> my ankle was sticking out underneath it. And. Both of them decided to get and jump on my bed, and it just collapsed on top of my ankle. He was hiding from us, and we were going to... Because they were picking on me. And so we were going to go in there and jump on the bed and scare him. Why were you picking on him? Because Lucky didn't chop his because foot Because we yeah. we're six years older than he is. It's like the point of being an older sibling is to pick on the younger sibling. Oh, yeah. Okay. I understand that now. Okay. So... Uh, One month, dude. One <laughs> month, fucker. <laughs> so, of course, we were picking on him. But, yeah. That's the only thing that... Yeah, that was the only time that I actually felt bad. Yeah. That's the only time. <laughs> it, it was kind of funny, though, because they both carried me into the living room, <laughs> laid me on the couch, got me eyes to put on my ankle, and told me not to tell my dad. Yeah, we were home alone. And then my dad got home, and the first thing I did was, they currently dropped the bed on top of me. Yeah. And then, yeah. And your dad got pissed, and then... No. My dad really didn't give a shit. <laughs> he was like, "Well, why were you underneath the bed?" Yeah, exactly. That, that <laughs> are you are you bleeding? Yeah, that's exactly how dad would handle the situation. That's awesome. Yeah. So. So I just laid on the sofa for the rest of the day because I couldn't step, put weight on my ankle. And I think mm-hmm. me and PJ may have waited on you a little bit yeah. too, because I think we we did feel really guilty about that because it was kind of scary when you're home alone. I mean, we were like. 11 and 12 or 11 we're both 11 yeah, we're like 11 like so chad was like five poor chad yeah so we felt a little bad about that one but you know kids be kids let's get back to seattle <laughs> let's uh get back on the plane and fly back to seattle real quick. <laughs> we were just reminiscing at the bar we're on our second bar <laughs> you know we've had a few shots a couple beers yeah i ever <laughs> tell you about the Applejack when I was a girl. <laughs> you sit down. <laughs> that time I almost killed Chad with a trundle bed. <laughs> the next place we are heading is right across the street and known to have glasses fly off the shelf behind the bar for no reason. This might be due to the ghost who lives in the mirror in the dining room, which is only ever seen in photographs. But some speak of a lady that floats through the hallways. Having opened over 30 years ago, the Old Bistro is an Italian restaurant and bar nestled in the Pike Place Market. They are well known for their quote-unquote 
perfect martini. I'm not going to lie. I thought you said the old bistro. <laughs> and I was like, that's a fucked up name. <laughs> that's a hell of a restaurant. That's a cool, they must have some wide doors. <laughs> cool candy store. Um, other spirits have been photographed as well. As for the glasses these disembodied klutzes drop, they somehow never break. That's fucking cool. Well, what it is, is see, the owners got tired of having to replace the glasses all the time. So they got some like bulletproof glasses. <laughs> Ceramic cups? <laughs> no, they they look like glass. Yeah. So they have, you know, plug, plexiglass, plexiglass cups. <laughs> they just bounce. When you go to the alibi room, which is down post alley next to the gum wall, a tall elderly man might come up to you at the bottom of the alibi stairs. He might introduce himself as Frank and ask you if you need directions. Howdy, Frank. If he does this, you just saw an apparition. Frank Goodwin is one of the original founders of the market who kept an office space next to the basement of what is now the Alibi Room before Frank Goodwin died back in 1954. This is what sounds to me like a residual haunting because this is exactly what Frank did every time he encountered a visitor back when he was alive. That's I want to go cool. find that alleyway. The gum wall seems a little disgusting. It, but. It, you, okay. You know Frontier City? Mm-hmm. You know when you go down to, to get onto the boats for the log ride? Mm-hmm. You know how that wall inside it used to be, co- I don't know if it still is or not, it used to be covered in gum. It's just like that, but like every inch of this alleyway is gum. It's like hanging like long strings <laughs> of it off of rails. And <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I don't like... In pictures, it kind of looks cool, but when you think about what it is, you're kind of like... Oh, I'm Ooh. sorry. If I'm going with someone, I'm pushing someone up against that wall <laughs> to see if they stick. <laughs> Help me. Give, give me off here. Give me off here. Hey, Dean, want to go flying? Uh, Why are you taking stick? my son to a bar? <laughs> you got to help me get the ladies. Slash restaurant. It's fine. <laughs> You take your kids to Chili's, and that's just a bar and grill. I mean, obviously, there's that other bar that Has the spirit the lady makes ragdolls for them. Mm-hmm. True. I got I got to find a way to get the haunted stuff. So, we've enjoyed our our bar crawl. I, I love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we finished up with our bar crawl. I just want to thank everybody for their personal stories with that one. It really helped round it out. Yeah. Uh, if you got any stories, uh, you can email them to umpnormalcy at gmail.com or uh, get on and join our Facebook group and tell us all about it. That's just, uh, what is it, Unearthing Paranormalcy on the Facebook? Yeah, you can search Unearthing Paranormalcy or UMP Normalcy, either one. Okay. So now that we're all a little uh, inebriated from our bar crawl, we got to find a place to stay. So, Eli, why don't you tell us about some of the hotel options that we have? Yeah, where are we staying? We're going to start off at the Hotel Sorrento. It's not clear why the ghost of writer Alice B. Tolkis is said to walk the halls of Seattle's oldest hotel. The upscale Hotel Sorrento, located at the intersection of Madison Street and Terry Avenue, is the first hill neighborhood open to the public 110 years ago this year. Coinciding with Alaska Yukon Pacific uh, Exposition, which began on June 1st, 1909, 
At the first time of its opening, the hotel was lauded for its broad views of the shore and the city. Designed by Harlan Thomas, Hotel Sorrento is a luxury dwelling complete with arched windows and doorways, wide eaves, and a hipped roof. Typical of the Italian Renaissance style, commonly seen in the town for which it was named. The hotel remains open today, 110, sorry, 120 years later, in the same place and with much of the same splendor thanks to the restoration work performed in the 1980s. But the hotel, the hotel, <laughs> but the hotel does not have more recent additions of sorts, depending on who you ask. A ghost appearing to be Alice B. Tolkis has been seen wandering the halls of the hotel, especially around room 408. She has been seen dressed in a white or black shroud and is said to have caused lights to flicker and drinks to move around in the Dunbar room. It's unclear why she would haunt the hotel. She was born in San Francisco in 1877 and moved to Seattle in the 1880s to study music at the University of Washington. Her family's Seattle residence was closed to where the Hotel Sorrento stands, but her family returned to San Francisco more than 10 years before the Sorrento opened. She died on March 7, 1967 in the hotel. <laughs> That's why she haunts it. It's unlikely Tokus, who has been credited with inventing the pot brownie, walked the hotel halls while she was still alive. And stoned as fuck. And stoned Not as Not only am I drunk as fuck, man, I'm also high as fuck. <laughs> That's the good shit. So if we stay in this hotel, we need to bring some some brownies? We need to bring some... No, sorry. We need to bring some munchies. (laughs) (laughs) Still, her presence in the hotel is strong enough that the Sorrento was named one of the country's 13 most haunted hotels by USA Today in 2015. The hotel also appears to be fond of its permanent resident. On October 26, 2018, the hotel hosted a dinner in her honor, a Prix Fix dinner inspired by recipes from the Alice B. Tolkis cookbook was served were given a tour before guests were given a tour of the property, including the sites of the reoccurring hauntings. And that is Hotel Sorrento. Now, she did it's weird because the original like I said, I forgot to email myself this. But the original uh uh stuff that I looked up, it said that she had died in the hotel. No one knows how she died in the hotel but uh, around that time, like there was a little bit more of um, oh, what's it called? Um, not hash. Oh man, opium. Opium. There's a little bit more of an opium craze there, and people have had said that she because no one said that she had died of an overdose of uh, marijuana. I have to say, she's the first case of death by marijuana. Yeah, she would be the first case. They're just covering it up. Yeah. (laughs) Hashtag no, it's not. Hashtag big marijuana companies. (laughs) Wait, wait. 408. 408. Adds up to 12. Oh, God, here we go. There are 12 beers in a case of Corona. She died (laughs) from from the the coronavirus. I hate you guys so much. <laughs> and Cor- Corona is a Spanish beer, right? Yes. Which, if she died in the early 1900s, back then they used to call it the Spanish flu. Oh. The Spanish influenza. 
No All right. one expects the Spanish <laughs> influenza. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to head on down the road to our next possible pit stay, if you will. Pit stayed or pit stay? <laughs> pit stained. Uh, pit stained hotel. <laughs> no, Seattle's Arctic Club Hotel. Don't think you get pit stains in there. It sounds <clears throat> cold. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> get some skid Oh, gosh. <laughs> I know from doing my research that the bar in that hotel is haunted as well. Yeah. Awesome. So I'm just starting to think every bar drunk. is haunted in Seattle. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Spirits like the spirits. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> He's like, you know those, okay, so you know those uncles that are just like, dry humor and then they're like say something that everybody else doesn't think that's funny and then they start slapping their knee and they're like <laughs> that's kind of what that was but it was funny i loved it seattle's arctic club a fraternal order of men with business ties to alaska and yukon was dissolved in the 1970s but members are still invoked throughout the entrance spaces what is now the arctic club seattle a double tree by hilton hotel as stoic, stoic explorers gaze down upon guests doing business at the front desk while collars and top hats under glass as decorative items harken back to the days when much of the building was an exclusively male preserve designed for enjoying cocktails and trading stories of adventures in the north. Seattle today, a tech hub also growing in prominence, as a North American portal to Asia, has long served the role of gateway city. At the turn of the 20th century, it had served as the provisioning point of the U.S. journey to the new territory of Alaska, most especially during the 1989 gold rush that drove nearly 100,000 prospectors north to Canada and Alaska. While most returned empty-handed, there was money to be made, primarily in the buying and selling of land claims. The Arctic Club was formed in the 1908 for those returned from the region. The building was p- completed in 1960, and the architecture flourishes commissioned by the original member, such as the terracotta walrus head that still adorn the exterior of the building, have stood century over successive boom and bust periods for the city. The hotel has occupied the century-old building for the last decade. And it's, a, and it's an interesting anomaly of the Doubletree network, like the ether- theatrical equivalent of being billed over the name of the film, the Arctic Club Hotel's personality blares loudly ahead of the Doubletree branding, although the brand certainly lends familiarity and draws broad, broader interest. You're getting a cookie at a check-in for sure. For those who like to engage in a good bit of escapist make-believe make believe when visiting historic hotels, it doesn't require much squinting to feel as though you've been transported. Guest rooms are decorated in clubby, masculine tones that invoke the area of the club's fonding. With design touches such as a map and portraits of indigenous people that would easily have been in place on opening day. Branding is strong in a guest room. With custom manogrammed bedspreads. Monogrammed. Fuck my life. Branding is strong. Manogrammed. <laughs> <laughs> There'd be boobies on my sheets. I want some mammogram sheets. <laughs> I don't. That just sounds so painful. Talk about a tight tuck in. Like. 
right. Okay. Although maybe the mammogram <laughs> sheets just mean that they don't have breast cancer. Yeah. Maybe it should be a good thing. <laughs> Can't catch bread, breast cancer. Yes, ma- mammogram sheets. You said breast cancer. I'm breast cancer. You can't get breast cancer either. I like hops. <laughs> Branding is strong in guest rooms with custom monogram bed sh- spreads and comfortably diner thick branded coffee mugs. In the caffeine obsessed city, a Starbucks dark roast blend is offered alongside a tiny French press. Easily some of the best. In-room coffee to be found in this hotel category. Guest baths identified by the frosted glass antique office. A door stenciled with bath are splashed with subway tile and period fittings. Coffee mugs. Sorry, after all the talk about the monograms and periods, I'm just like, what the fuck? (laughs) That's right. I'm going to go back to this. They have Seattle or they have Starbucks coffee, and they're claiming that's the best coffee. Available in the hotels? No, Starbucks coffee is gross. That's why they put so much sugar in all their stuff because their coffee tastes like ass. Maybe it's better in Seattle where it started. Maybe, but the stuff yeah. we get here tastes burnt. It, it's kind of like burnt. KFC tastes the best in Kentucky. And further you get away from Kentucky, that's, the worse it tastes. I would think yeah, you would put Seattle, Seattle's best coffee in there, right? I mean, it's supposed to be the best. Our Taco Bell it sells it. So. <laughs> Son of a bitch. And when I think high quality, I, I think, think Taco, Taco Bell. <laughs> well, America's number one Mexican <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> you eat enough Taco Bell, you're going to need some mammogram sheets. I don't know. You're also going to need some coffee to get the rest of the shit out of you. All right. Coffee mugs and cute walrus mascots that guard the snack tray are available for purchase in the lobby oh. as min- mementos. As mentos, the breast fresh. As mentos. I'm not putting a walrus in my mouth to make my breath taste better. Breast. We're having some problems tonight. We're a little drunks. The neighborhood was certainly a hot one when the hotel was built and is making its way back after some decades of blight. The imposing Smith Tower, the imposing bow art structure, that was a construction... (laughs) That was... God, I can't talk. (laughs) All right. The imposing bow art structure that was a construction contemporary of the Arctic Club is well-viewed from many of the hotel guest rooms, and on the clear day, many rooms can even see Mont Rainer. Almost some hundred miles distance of the, to the south. Now, I'm, I, I know you guys are wondering where the hell the hauntings are coming from. Well, first I'm going to say it's Mount Rainier. Yeah. But. Fuck me. Where are the hauntings? Okay. Fans <laughs> of haunted hotels will also find their due. A sitting United States congressman, Marion Zionchek, fell to his death from a 50-store window in 1936, coming to rest on the pavement directly in front of the waiting car occupied by his wife. At the time ruled of a suicide, theories to the contrary have persisted throughout the decades, and there have been reports of hotel elevators going to the building's fifth floor and doors opening without a call. Guests can trade ghost stories or tales of their own adventures in the north or around Seattle in the hotel's Polar Bar, which occupies the same space as the bar of the original Arthur Club and shares the clubby style presented in guests Two guests, sorry. Accented with bits of polar quiche. K- 
Kish. 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 K-I-T-S-C-H. I'm just like, sorry, go on. Okay. His wife, and they're going, dude, honey, hurry up. I'm coming. That's right. I was sitting there thinking about the elevator opening on the fifth floor. I'm like, no, he's just playing the elevator game. Guess luckily, guess lucky enough to uh, to be attending a function, we'll find this sumptuous dome-topped ballroom, another building original, yet another reminder of those Helchin days when adventures loomed large on the landscape of his growing frontier metropolis. So that's not the only quote-unquote ghost that they're dealing with there. Like Dave said, the bar actually is... Uh, uh, experiencing some stuff as well uh candles being blown out lights being turned off glasses being thrown across a clock uh there was one there was one story that i got from uh it was kind of like a blog type thing where they were coming up with like uh or basically they're like this hotel's haunted and then a bunch of people like basically started posting stuff like personal experiences and one of the personal experiences was a waiter that actually worked in the the hotel that was walking in for some reason uh, the, the whole entire day he kept on being tripped and he said he, that he was tripped like 10 times and it wasn't like a situation where he was tripping on rugs somebody was phys- something was physically tripping him and it was all happening on the fifth floor so this reminds me we forgot to play the elevator game while we were in Dallas we did and that hall that hall hotel that hotel was supposedly haunted as well yeah at least according to one Yelp review yeah but there was no second second floor. No, that's true. It went from the we lobby to the third damn. floor. Because we, we were going to do it, and then we pointed out, we when we got in the elevator, we saw that there was not a second floor. You just had lobby. And so there was no first floor. It was just lobby and then third most, floor. Most hotels don't have a second floor. Because the, the lobby's on the first. And yeah, because the lobbies are usually two, three stories tall. Yeah. It was a really cool hotel, though. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Had an atrium inside of it. <coughs> when we do Dallas, we'll so have I to woke cover up. It. I woke up at one point in the middle of the night, felt like someone was holding me down. But yeah. I don't know if that was just sleep paralysis or something holding me down. I don't know. At one point, I was walking back to the room by myself, and I felt like somebody was following me. But as I told Chad, that could have very well been security cameras or something in the hotel that I just felt watched. Yeah, they had a lot of security cameras in that hotel. They did. All right, the last and final step, Cadillac. Huh? What? What's that? Nothing. Go ahead. Which one? Go ahead. The last final stop, Cadillac Hotel. The last and final what? Stop. 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 The last and final stop, the Cadillac Hotel. Thank you. Better? Yes. Jesus Christ, can't even be caging on this fucking channel. (laughs) This channel? (laughs) (laughs) This is a channel off. (laughs) Mute. (laughs) <laughs> we totally need to live stream our <laughs> podcast sometimes. Basically, Chad it muted me. I grabbed the mic. Uh, gra- grab gra- the mic. <laughs> I grabbed the remote from him and I muted myself. This historic three-story Victorian Italianate style building was brought to life in ni- 1889 and was one of the first hotels built from the ashes after the city's famous Great Seattle Fire earlier that year. Designed by James W. Hethington and Clements, 
as part of the Whitler block, it was featured in what was Seattle's original commercial district. It opened in 1890 as the Elliott House. From 1891 to 1904, it converted Derrick Hotel with 56 rooms and for for a very short time was also known as the Star Lodge. By 1906, under new ownership, it became the Cadillac Hotel. Highlighting 59 available rooms, the building had always catered to lodgers, fishermen, railroad, and shipyard workers employed within the area. In fact, during most of its long run, it served as a workman's hotel for young single men and offered cheap rooms at 25 to 50 cents a night. With its front side of the building running along 2nd Avenue, the first floor operated a number of businesses on the street level, including a lunch counter, a bar, a drugstore, and various inexpensive restaurants. By the late 1930s, Pioneer's Pioneer Square, Square fell into despair as more and more of the area's historic buildings became run down and abandoned. Most of its business and residents moved to the newer and more developed locations, which are now collectively known as downtown. Keep in mind, this was also before the region became the historic district we know today. In 1970, the hotel and apartment building in the area took a, took a drastic turn of events when the when on March 20th, an ar- arsonist set two fires at the Ozark Hotel that took over 20 lives. This tragic Seattle incident inspired the Ozark Ordinance, which made it mandatory for all hotels and apartment buildings to install sprinkler systems to the upper floors. Unfortunately, most of these establishments within Pioneer Square, Square were already in financial trouble and couldn't afford the high cost of installing them. This hardship caused many locations to either shut down completely or close off their upper floors. This is exactly what transpired at the Cadillac Hotel as it permanently shut down the hotel portion, leaving just the main floor open for small businesses. For more than 30 years, nothing but the deserted remains of furniture, half-made-up beds, clothes still hung in the closets, and other personal objects of past lodgers rotted away in the uninhabited rooms. This endured until another tragic event would strike the hotel in 2001. On February 28th, a 6.8 magnitude earthquake known as Nisqually Earthquake shook this old building almost to death. The results of the earthquake caused such an extreme amount of damage with the brick facade toppling to the sidewalk and onto parked cars that the owner, fearful that the rest of the building was soon to follow, applied for a permanent to applied for a permit to have the building demolished on March 9th. However, many believe that the structure still had some life in her and could be saved. So the permits were denied. Right away, work began in search of how they could save the beloved landmark. The Cadillac's heroes would be named Historic Seattle, a preservation organization founded in 1974 shortly after the Pioneer Square neighborhood was saved as a historic district with work to clean it up and preserve it. The organization obtained a $2.4 million Section 108 loan to purchase the Cadillac Hotel from the city of from the city of Seattle Office of Economic Developments. Evicting its last residence, the Phoenix Underground, which operated as a popular nightclub in the basement, renovations to restore the Cadillac started in 2001 and ended in 2005. 
When the doors opened once again, the building functioned as a museum ran by National Park Service as a as the Klondike Gold Rush Museum. In fact, the building itself is listed in the National Park System as Washington's smallest park, known as the Klondike Gold Rush National Historic Park. Then museums offered free admission and tells the story of Seattle's most important part of the city's history. Today, the Cadillac stands strong, reflecting its past inside and out. Nonetheless, with such history follows a few hauntings as well. Stories of apparitions wandering the upper floors, a strange sound here and there, even strange ghostly presence felt in the elevator. These don't compare to the sad tale of hearing a woman and her child crying late into the night. As to who she might be, many believe she is the single mother who took her and her child's life after being evicted during hard times. Some say she was a prostitute. Some say she was a prostitute who may have performed her own abortion and bled to death in her room. Whoever this sobbing entity be, her sadness still echoes through the halls of a past newly restored. So with the Cadillac Hotel, the, the thing that I find most interesting about it is that all because I tried to because especially like with the fires and the earthquakes, I always I tried to find like some sort of not really record or something that would say about you know, hey, these many people died because like everybody knows earthquakes are like not foreseen, you know, when they happen, they happen, and you don't have really a lot of time to react. Um, but there's along with the Arctic Hotel. Or sorry, along with the the first hotel I talked about, it's kind of like right up there with the most hauntings. Um, it's kind of like the situation that we have here in Oklahoma City where, uh, um, God, what is that hotel the called? The Skirvin Hotel. Kind of that situation there where it's multiple, it's multiple entities instead of like one main entity. Because at the Skirvin, we have a female who... Or a female entity that likes to mess around with men. Female, female partition. partition. Sorry, partition. God damn it, guys. Let me be serious for five seconds. God, I love partitions. Uh, but anyways, um, there's your five seconds of seriousness okay, right there. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, uh, there really, really wasn't any kind of documentation as far as like any any way passing away in fires or that earthquake. But the amount of uh, entities that have that have kind of like uh, surfaced uh, like a lot more than Skirvin. So there's a lot, I mean, there's, there's been a few people who have gone there to kind of like, you know, do readings and, and just get the all around energy level of that hotel after its preservation. Um, and they've gotten a lot of, uh, silence, but the stuff that they have picked up has been from what the, the blog said, uh, clear, um, Meaning that there's no guessing of what they're saying. They're like in most of the words, uh, like class A ABBs. Yeah, um, and the one with the screaming woman and the crying child. There was one that I did listen to um, that was uh, they were listening to it, and then all of a sudden you hear like this kind of almost sounds like a squeal, but it's a it's like a high pitched scream. And then at the end of it, you hear a crying baby. Like, it's like, ha! Ah! And then you hear that, ah! you know, like. That shit. 
So that was kind of creepy. <laughs> the only reason why I know how to do that is because my my friend my my friend showed me how to do that. But that's literally what you hear. But it's like uh-huh. kind of like tapered off. Um, but I think that if we ever get to go to Seattle, that would be awesome to like seriously go like at least stay in two of the hotels that we we talked about. Yeah. You know, we still need to go to the Skirvin, but speaking but, of a. Uh, Jack turned on turned out the volume on your son's uh, Kindle, oh. and then was standing right behind me, according to Dean. He told you Jack did it, and he was. He said, "Can I turn that down?" So I took it from him, and turned it down. And he goes, "Jack turned it up," and I'm like, "Oh yeah," and he goes, "Jack right behind you." <laughs> and I was like, "Can I back?" <laughs> well, Jack let him sleep, and then walked. Out <laughs> <laughs> kind of creeped the kind way of he did it to me. Looks like he just pointed and was like. Jack right behind you. <laughs> Jack's right behind me? Not anymore. <laughs> That's the kind of shit J- Applejack would get me in trouble for. He would do stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, see? It's Applejack. All right, so we have our hotels that we're staying at. We're going to sober up. Char can go down and get <sighs> breakfast because we've already passed out from the pot brownies and beer. So now we're going to start our day excursion. And are some of our haunted locations. Chad, where are we going? So first stop, we're going to go to University Heights Center in Seattle. Well, obviously, we're in Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to go to the University Heights Center in New York. Chad, do you know how long? <laughs> the University Heights Center opened in 1902 as an elementary school. It stayed open until 1989 and then was closed for a few years. It re- reopened as a community center that we know today. During its history, there was only one tragic death. A teacher allegedly locked a misbehaving student in a closet and forgot about him, left him there over the weekend. That boy was named Brian. To this day, witnesses still seem to claim, still claim to see Brian throughout the building. Poor kid. Yeah. I read that and I was like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Uh, today, this place hosts multiple ghost hunting events throughout the year. Throughout the years, during these events, high EMF fields are found. Shadows are seen darting through the hallways. Multiple EVPs have been recorded, mostly Class B or C um, EVPs. Um, I do have one if we want to listen to it. Sure, I'll play it for everybody. With this EVP, you can hear her ask the question. You can't quite tell if it's a Real response or just a noise, um, but it was pretty neat. I thought. How come you're? How come you stay here? You guys hear it at the end. It almost sounds like he says "go away." But play one more time because I didn't hear it. Towards the very end, I heard somebody fart, but that was yeah. about all I heard. It's after the. You how come the you're? Beat. How come you stay here? There's the heart. I heard oh, it. Yeah. yeah. That was that was chilly. Yeah. I didn't hear it the first time. But I, when you I told honest, me where it was, I honestly, was... I didn't even hear that until just now. Oh yeah. Like I, I heard the other like the fart noise, and I was like <laughs> thinking maybe that was just a <sighs> like someone's yeah. like. And I was, but I just heard it with the headphones on. I was like, holy shit, <laughs> that was kind of cool. <laughs> now. Like I said, throughout the years, witnesses see, uh, claim to see the shadows move from room to room or down the hallways. Um, all the ghost tours start kind of towards the entrance, and they 
um, just kind of let you get used to the dark. You can turn, you know, set all your equipment that you bring. Um, they'll set up uh, EMF detectors and stuff, and a lot of shadows are seen at the entrance. A lot of the stuff that happens there seems to be more awkward feelings, like someone's following you or someone's watching you. They took a psychic in there, and she uh, could feel the presence of somebody. Um, that was actually when that MVP, M- EVP was taken. <laughs> the, MVP. The, M- the MVP was Woo-hoo! the EVP was taken out uh, with that psychic in the room when she claimed to feel somebody. Now, some of these haunts are claimed to be hoax, but um, they host multiple ghost hunts a year. Um, you can go to their website at universe or uhyattcenter.org and check on their events. I think the next one is in September. No, July. Um, next one is in July. Um, Birthday trip. And so, and that one is hosted by Spooked. I think is I think it's the uh, comp- the ghost hunting company that does it. But I definitely, definitely suggest you go check out for yourselves whether or not it's real or not. If you're from the Seattle area and have been there or you know some stories, I'd love to hear it. There wasn't just a whole lot. Um, there was a cool one, uh, A Ghost, which is another um, paranormal society in the Seattle area. They did a one there. And there, there is a pretty cool video of they have a one of those kids' teddy bears that when it gets touched, it makes noises and stuff. And they had it set up on a... Chair, no, not there. <laughs> Where did it touch me, Jimmy? Stop um, it! <laughs> and they put an EMF detector around it, and you would see the lights go off, and then you hear the bear start talking, and then <laughs> like the EMF would go away, and then it would come back. You see the EMF detector go off again. That's cool. And they also use like the laser grids. Yeah, and you could see the points on the laser grid where it was making contact with something. It was pretty cool. They did multiple devices on it, and there's a video on YouTube. It's pretty cool to watch. Um. The talking bear's like, I love you, Sadie. <laughs> Remember that story? Yeah. <laughs> so that's about it on the University Center. Next, we can head to the Harvard Exit Theater. We're on the wrong coast for Harvard, aren't we? Yeah. Harvard Exit Theater Cinema in Seattle said to be haunted during the early 1970s through the mid-1980s. Some of the phenomenon phenomena remain <laughs> unexplained. <laughs> phenomena. <laughs> Some of the phenomena remain unexplained, but some are confessed practical jokes. The cinema, established in 1968, named after a freeway exit, occupies part of a three-story, turn-of-the-century building on Capitol Hill, one of Seattle's older neighborhoods. The rest of the building is occupied by the Women's Century Club, once active in, its suffra- in the suffrage movement and now a civic organization. Under its original owners, the Harvard Exit Theater gained popularity for its foreign and independent films and for its homey atmosphere. With waiting parlors furnished in old pieces, the main auditorium is on the second floor, and the second auditorium was la- later added on the third floor. The third floor is where most of the alleged phenomena occurred. Tales of a gas... Tales of a ghostly woman. <laughs> Tales of a gassy woman. <laughs> Ooh, gorsh. <laughs> Tales of a ghostly woman dressed in turn-of-the-century clothing haunting the place began to circulate in the early 1970s. The manager at the time, Janet Wainwright, 
reportedly saw a female apparition, not partition, which on one occasion was sitting in a chair by the fireplace and vanished as Wainwright drew near. Wainwright also reported finding lights on and a fire going in the fireplace when she was the first to arrive some mornings to open up. She once find, found chairs arranged in a semicircle around the fire. On the third floor, she reported seeing several apparitions of women. Other employees reported hearing sounds of a woman sobbing, and the projectionist allegedly arrived one day to find the projector already running. In 1982, Wainwright left and was replaced by Alan Blangy, who managed the theater until 1988. One night, shortly after Blangy began his job at the theater, he and his assistant manager were closing up when Blangy thought he heard a noise in the third floor auditorium. Entering it, he saw the door to the fire escape close. He thought it was an intruder. A intruder had, an intruder had been in the building. But as he attempted to pull the door shut, something on the other side pulled back in strong jerks. Called to his assistant, who arrived just as just as the manager, just as he managed to pull the door shut. Together, they then pushed the door open, expecting to see an intruder fleeing down the fire escape, and or out onto the street. They found nothing, nor had they heard any sounds of feet running down the stairs. The incident spooked Blingy, who from then on never wanted to be in the theater alone. Around 1985, a group of paranormal investigators set up equipment and effort to record evidence of the haunting, but the results were inconclusive. They claimed to record ghostly voices on tape and to see a ball of light float across the third floor auditorium. Blingy never heard the tapes, and the ghost hunters eventually left. Now, in 1985, that means they probably, like, hand-trucked a computer into there. <laughs> and then a big old They light. probably didn't have computers. It was probably all handheld devices. And, like, as you mean, you had, like, the big tape recorders or, like, yeah. camcorders mm-hmm. and stuff. There were no computers, probably. The phenomena ceased in the mid-1980s. And in 1987, independent filmmaker Carl Grokstead moved his goods for into a rental quarter in the theater and experienced his stacks of boxes falling over repeatedly for several days. No explanation was found. Blingley Blingy theorized that the theater may have been haunted by the ghost of Seattle's first and only woman mayor, Bertha K. Lands, an early feminist and reformer, a leader of the Women's Century Club and other women's organizations. She served as mayor from 1926 to 1928 and made significant inroads against government corruption. She died in 1943. Blingy was told by early staffers that some of the phenomena were outright jokes on Wayne Wright. After Wayne White reportedly seen an apparition, other staff members played pranks by, of lighting the fire prior to her morning arrival and setting chairs in the semicircle. According to Blingy, some of the other phenomena may have been exaggerations. Or may had may have had natural explanations. For example, for example, since movies were screened by the staff during the day, it is possible that someone left a projector running prior to the arrival of the projectionist for the public showings. At about the time the phenomena ceased at the Harvard exit, a museum opened up in downtown Seattle with objects and photographs perta- pertaining to Landy's or Lands. An account in one of the local newspapers mentions that workmen at the museum. Site reported strange incidents such as tools and materials being mis- misplaced. Blingy believed that the ghost of Lands relocated to the museum to look after her things. However, museum of- officials claimed no law- knowledge of any unusual happenings during at- or after construction. 
1988, some of the land's objects were sent to another museum in Seattle, whose officials claimed likewise. Um, this is another place that still, um, from what I'm reading, still does ghost hunts. I did read someplace that it is closed, but I can't find any definition, <coughs> definite answers for that. Uh, but they did do ghost hunts there. It is on the list of top ten haunted places in Seattle. Uh, so it'd be pretty cool. I wouldn't see it um, just for the st- old style uh, furniture and the way it was designed, and had a bunch of old uh, foreign independent film posters on the walls and stuff. Would yeah. be pretty cool to That's see. Very cool. All right. So Chad, thank you for your little excursion to the uh, toilet <laughs> to the locations. Now, we've got a few more places to go. Now we're going to go a little further south on our haunted Seattle tour. At the corner of Southwest California Avenue and Southwest Hanford Street, you will see the home of the West Side Seattle Wildcats. Opened in 1902, this beautiful neo-Renaissance building was original to the West West Seattle School. And in 1917, the name was changed to the West Side or West Seattle High School. Legend has it that in 1924, a female student named Rose Higginbotham hung herself in the school. It is said that Rose roams the halls. The school is adjacent to Hiawatha Park, designed and built in 1911. And it's said that Rose Higginbotham and other students, as well as apparitions of animals, have been seen in the park at sunset and sunrise during periods of heavy fog and deeply overcast days. Now, I seem to have run into a bit of a problem with the haunting. Although it's considered one of the most haunted locations in Seattle, there doesn't seem to be much fact behind it. The story of Rose Higginbotham, many researchers have searched for this student, but no no records of her or that a student ever killed themselves in the school. Most of the yearbooks from West Seattle High are digitalized and online for people to search through. But the years that Rose might have attended, there's no hits for a Rose or a Higginbotham. The closest name was an art teacher named Mabel Higgy. Does this mean that it never happened? Does this mean that there's no ghost that haunts the West Seattle High School? Of course not. Over the years, many, maybe some of the details have changed. You know, kind of like the telephone game. Or maybe Rose the person wasn't real, but that doesn't mean Rose the spirit isn't. With as many students and people who have seen or experienced events of Rose walking the halls and have retold her story, it could be that maybe the spirit of someone who is misidentified as Rose. Or could it be that these all these people talking and sharing the tales and stories of Rose Higginbotham have inadvertently created her? If you remember back to our episode about thought form entities, with enough energy, one can cause the creation of a tulpa, and a group of individuals can focus that energy and accidentally create an egregore. So that very well could be what's happening at West Seattle High School. We might not ever really find out, but there's no doubt in my, in my mind that the students and staff have witnessed strange events. Now, the school is private property, and you might end up having to explain to the police why you're walking around a high school campus taking pictures. But the next best thing is just north at the Hiawatha Park, where not only is it reported that Rose wanders in the night, but other apparitions have been seen lurking in the trees and watching you as you stroll. 
other rapparitions? <laughs> yo, yo, yo. <laughs> Lil Wang up the video. Lil Boo. <laughs> it's a ghost face killer. <laughs> other apparitions oh. are seen lurking in the trees and watching you as you take your stroll. Now, we have finished our look around West Seattle High School and Hiawatha Park. But we're feeling a little hungry, so let's head to our next location and grab a bite to eat. Maybe sing some karaoke and enjoy the antics of a rather perturbed partition. We will head north on California Avenue to Admiral Way and go east. And we'll hop on the West Seattle Bridge to 4th Street. There, at 2963 4th Avenue South, we find the Orient Express. The Orient Express has... <laughs> Or not only has a ghost, but it has a ghost and she's pissed. The new restaurant owner, it seems, doesn't believe in the paranormal. But in recent months, rumor has it, the ghost has exploded lights twice above the owner's head. And when she's telling the employees not to mention the ghost, rumor also has it that there's a spooky surveillance system behind the bar just to record the ghost. This place used to be Andy's Diner. The hauntiest of Seattle's haunts for half a century down in Soto. Two guys named Andy bought seven decommissioned railroad cars. One is even where Franklin Delano Roosevelt slept and it's marked FDR's personal car on the side. And set them next to each other in a parking lot. In a desolate stretch of industrial road where the trucks rambled by. Inside is a level of ambience money can't buy. The wood of the tables, the tables and paneling is dark and rich, like from another age. Faded photos climb the walls. Moving around inside the cars, going to the restroom, say, means navigating a maze of eerie confined corridors and dislocating switchbacks. New servers get lost in their way to and from the food. Now, Yelp has this restaurant as a three-star. But if you read the reviews, most of the negative reviews I saw were that the lay is, are about the layout and how the place feels old. Well, duh. With the age of the cars, of course it's going to feel old. And the layout is because it's cars. I personally think that makes that cool. Very uh, unique. I mean, <laughs> I want to check it out. Every review about the food says it's great. Even with the age of the location, though, their karaoke system is said to be very up to date. So let's get our sing on and maybe invite some angry spirits and maybe invite some angry spirits for a duet. Because nothing helps express your emotions like a little song and dance. Am I right? Amen, sister. Play some mar- monster mash or I was trying to think of some ghost song all of a sudden I couldn't think of one. <laughs> he did the mash. He did the monster, monster mash. mash. The he monster the mash. mash. It was a graveyard smash. He, he did, did the, the mash. mash. I put a spell on you because you're mine. She's a super freak, super freak, <laughs> she's super, super freaky. freaky. That's pretty good, dude. All right, stop. Collaborate and, and listen. Ice is back with my brand new invention. Mention. Something. Girls are holding me tightly. tightly. It flows like a harpoon daily and nightly. nightly. Will it ever stop, yo? I, I don't, don't know. know. Turn off the lights and I'll, and I'll flow, flow to the extreme like a mic, like a vandal. Live a stage with a chump like a candle. Dance. Killing your brain like a poisonous mushroom. Deadly. When I hear a dope melody, anything less than the best is a felony. 
I'm a bitch. I'm a lover. I'm a child. I'm a mother. Okay. I'm a sinner. I'm a saint. I do Phenomena. not feel ashamed. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Phenomena. <laughs> See, we're all in a better mood now. <laughs> now that we're done with our meal and we've lost our voices to all the singing we've sung. And we're hungover. <laughs> We have one less one last stop on this leg of our journey through Seattle. So, let's take I-5 South to South Graham, then over to Holly Street until we get to 57th Avenue. Here we come, come upon a beautiful park along Lake Washington. Here we can set out and stretch our legs or, and walk the trails, or leave, even lay out in the grass and look up at the sky. But this park isn't what originally sat at this spot. In fact, this location is rumored to be the location of many deaths of young girls while they were in the school for trouble in a school for troubled girls. And it was even rumored that the school housed a satanic cult before its demolition in 1989. When the perennial school opened on Mercer Island in 1905, it housed 30 boys and six girls. But it didn't take long for them to learn the difficulties of mixing the sexes at a residential school. Soon they had to find a new location for the girls. In 1919, the school board purchased land in the Brighton neighborhood as a new site for the girls' school. The land had, at various times, been owned by three of Seattle's pioneer school teachers. A two-story, Georgian-style brick building was erected on the Brighton site. The students moved into the new building in June 1921, the district assumed responsibility for providing academic instruction at the Protestant institution after it opened in 1922. The girls at the school were wards of the juvenile court who exceeded the age of 16 years of age, that, that exceeded the 16 year of age limit for the girls' perennial school or were misfits in f- the public schools. The teachers offered instruction in elementary and high school subjects and the girl range, age ranges were between 13 and 21. In 1925 to 26, 36 girls attended the girls' perennial school. They ranged in ages from 10 to 16. In all things, the effort is to maintain the school as a home atmosphere. Many of the girls have never known what that means, or they frequently develop remarkably under its influence. In addition to regular school work, the girls learned how to do work with the work of the home. Cooking, serving, canning, sewing, mending, darning, laundry work, housekeeping, and gardening. Industrial work occupies about three to three hours per day for each girl. In 1928, a dormitory, dormitory was added, and four classroom structures, structures with a gymnasium were added in 1930. These structures were done in the same style and material of the main building. The grounds included about 500 feet of shoreline, shoreline along Lake Washington. Outdoor fireplaces built by the students and large surface areas for sports and space for gardens. The residence halls accommodated up to 90 girls. One of the classrooms in the addition was specially equipped for home economics. And in 1931, the school was renamed in honor of the nation's first lady in the accordance to the policy of the commemorative famous citizens. The girls attending Martha Washington School for Girls, as it was renamed, were wards of the juvenile court of King County. The school was classified as 
a protective institution with an emphasis on academic and vocational education. Now, during the years at the Martha Washington School for Girls, it was rumored that some of the girls were very mistreated, not only by the staff, but other girls in the school. One story I saw talked about girls being thrown down a well on the property after death and some even while they were alive. There are even stories about the school's custodian that lived on the property abusing and assaulting them. If these rumors are in fact true, then it would make sense why people who visit the park today report hearing screams and cries coming from the property. Some of the trees on the property were planted by the girls, and it's said that you can see apparitions hiding among the trees at the park. One person who wrote about her trip to the site talked about it a heavy feeling as she got or as she walked past the spot where the old custodians custodian used to live. And this is a hot, this this location is a hotbed for activity, and it isn't unheard of for groups of ghost hunters to go out after dark and try to catch a glimpse of one of these ghosts. That being said, be careful because in 2018, a 17-year-old boy was shot and killed while at the park with a group of friends one night looking for these ghosts. Police were unsure whether the boy was targeted or if he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. But either way, it seems like the dark history of this location seems to continue. Wow. So, we've done our bar hops. We've stayed at our hotel, and we've checked out some awesome locations. Who wants to go to Seattle? Me! Jinx! So, what we're going to do is we're going to take a trip. We're going to hit Seattle... And we're going to hit Portland, and then we're going to hit San Francisco to swap by Grognostics, right? Yeah. So we can say uh-huh. hi and have a beer or two. And then we'll come back home. Or half. We'll just, we'll make a West Coast trip of it. Sounds, Sounds good. Sounds good? All right. We'll have to wait. We get the... cheap plane tickets right now, though. Yeah, plane tickets would be really cheap right now. Um, but I think Portland is Portland's pretty much shut down, shut, and wa- I know right Seattle now, so. is too, so... The tickets will be cheap, but we won't be able to do, do anything. anything. <laughs> we'll be able to take pictures from our hotel room. <laughs> Maybe if we can get a hotel room. <laughs> we appreciate all of your support. If you want your city and state to be on our next paranormal road trip, tell your friends, tell your family, tell everybody you know about our podcast, get them listening. And I, in fact, our RSS server... Now lists all time because it only was listing the last ten episodes. Now it listens all lists all of all mm-hmm. time top locations, so we get even better counts now. Nice. Uh, make sure you join our Facebook group. Um, we're getting more and more people. Uh, thanks, Mark, for joining today. Yeah, uh, uh, appreciate it. Uh, Mark, you the MVP. <laughs> You've been joining last week. Check out our Patreon. We've got a. Um, New podcast that is Patreon subscription only, and it's unearth unearthing <laughs> unearthing evidence. Uh, we've it's got our uh, our twist on uh, true cri- true crime. Yeah, uh, focusing more on the victims and the uh, families instead of the actual killers or the perpetrators perpetrators of the crimes. Of the crimes. Right now so. we're on the smiley face killers, and that one's just a theory. But we've talked, we've done yeah. an episode about um, Some, uh, the, the theory, the, and we've done an episode about the actual cases of it. Um, next, we're going to be doing the Oklahoma City bombing, and I actually have interviews set up with two survivors. 
that'll be really awesome. And I'm looking forward to that one. We want to make sure we get the Oklahoma City bombing done right because we're going to be releasing it in April, which, which is, is uh, the what, 25th anniversary yeah. of yeah. the bombing. So we want to make sure we get it right. Um, so if you're listening to this and you know you have you are a survivor of the bombing or you have any stories about the bombing, please email us because we want to put as much of our survivor information in it as we can because we want to make it about you and not about Timothy McVeigh. Asshole. Ass- so <laughs> we are going to we want to make it Asshole. as <laughs> we want to make it as survivor friendly as we can. Um be sure to like us, follow us, message us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Oh, our Patreon address is patreon.com slash UMP normalcy. And you can find that, I believe, on our website, on our Facebook, and I think even in the episode, if you go to the description, it's in there as well. Um, but we're at UMP normalcy, our website, umpnormalcy.com, and our email is umpnormalcy at gmail.com. Uh, we appreciate our listeners so much. You guys are awesome. We're rolling up on a hundredth episode. We've got to come up with what our hundredth episode is going to be. We got to make it good. Yeah. And we might do live streaming for it. Yeah. We might. That'd be cool. That'd be, that'd be good. We might do a live stream for our hundredth episode. That might be what we go with. We'll let you guys know, and we'll let you know where to find it. And I think that's all. Have I covered everything? Anybody have anything else to say? If you live in Seattle and you have an awesome story that we didn't cover or you ex- you've been to one of these places and you had your own personal experience, email us or go to the group and share it on the group and share it with all of us and we can all talk about it. Um, we like talking about our hauntings and our experiences mm-hmm. on there. So until next time. Keep digging. It's a full <gasps> moon.